All right. So I'm going fast, so don't, don't be dismayed. I know what time it is. So we're going to be uh, in, this is week nine of our series on 12 things every church should know, and the topic is worship and prayer. Worship and prayer, and you may be asking why I put them together in the same topic. Well, you, just I can answer that with a quick question, hypothetical, not hypothetical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Rhetorical question, thank you, Heidi. A rhetorical question. Can you worship God without praying? I don't think you can. And is it right to pray without worshiping? I would say no, it's not right. You're praying wrong, right? If you're, if you're just asking God for stuff and not actually giving him glory, okay? And so I'm not sure you can even really talk about worship without talking about prayer, and I'm not sure you can really talk about prayer without at some point talking about worship. So we put them together, okay? And so here's our first statement uh, about worship and prayer. It says, worship is the eternal occupation of the church. Isn't that great? It's what we're going to be doing forever. It's the eternal occupation of the church. There can never be too much of it. In every church, God's presence should be prized. God should be enthusiastically worshipped with genuine freedom. Every church should seek increasing communion with God in prayer and express increasing dependence on God in prayer. Okay? So what is worship? Even asking the question, honestly, is interesting. The same thing is true of prayer. On one hand, it's a very simple definition, but then the more you think about it and the more you do it, the more deep and mysterious it becomes. Okay? So D.A. Carson has a great uh, uh, book on prayer, and in it he begins his definition on worship by saying, Worship is the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. So that includes emotion, right? Delightfully so. It's not like a right? Worship is not um, just emotion, but it's not less than, okay? It's more than emotion, but it's not less than emotion, okay? And it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because sometimes you worship God because you tell yourself to. We're going to do that at the end. We're going to make ourselves worship God, okay? So worship is a response to God's worthiness. It is delight in God, ascribing him all honor and all worth. Our worship does not make him worthy. It's important. Because there's some confusion, I think, about that, especially in evangelicalism. That somehow we are giving, adding something to God with our worship, and you're not. Worship is a response to what you see in God it is recognizing, it is the proper, appropriate response to God's awesomeness. It recognizes that God is great and responds appropriately. And by appropriate, I don't mean reserved. I mean to not respond to God's glory when you see it and just to go, Peh, is like the ultimate rebellion, right? To actually see God for who he is and then go, huh, whatever would be inappropriate, right? The appropriate response to God when you see him is worship. It's delight in him. It's awe. 
It's repentance. It's all of these things, all of them called worship, right? It's more than emotion, but certainly not less than. Okay, so the Latin term, I'm going to throw some Latin at you. Just maybe, maybe just so you can have a new idea for a tattoo, right? A little Latin for you, all right? Imago Dei literally means image of God, and it is used to refer to the Christian doctrine that teaches that human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. That's a deep, deep idea. You and I, all human beings, Christian and non, were created in God's image to reflect what he's like. So that when the universe looks at human beings, it reminds them of God, right? When you look at my son Owen, unfortunately, you immediately think, oh, it looks like his dad. He's a spitting image of his dad. There's nothing I can do about it at this point, son. I'm sorry. Same with us. The universe, God himself looks at us and we remind him of himself, which is a wonderful idea too. Imago Dei means the image of God. There are three texts that sum that up in the Old Testament. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Let's just look at that one. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, our meaning the Trinity, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is why even people who don't know God do good things. This is why. It's because they were made in God's image. And so Satan comes along and he hates mankind because we're made in his image. And he goes, I don't like this at all. Everywhere I look, I'm reminded of God, and I don't like him, and so I don't like these people. And so he tempts Eve. Eve sins, rebels against God, takes her life into her own hands. And Adam goes, all right, I'll go along with that. And he goes along with it, and now we have sin. Sin is ultimately agreement with Satan to destroy the image of God in us. Image means shadow or reflection or resemblance. So the Imago Dei reveals the seeds of worship that are planted in our identity as human beings, and Satan hates it. He wants us to worship anything but God. You are going to worship. It is in your DNA. It is what you are made to do. It is what's easiest for you to do. Think of all the things that are easy for you to do. Worship is the absolute dead easiest. You do it without knowing you're doing it. You do it without thinking. You don't plan on doing it. You don't say, today I think I'll worship for a few minutes. You wake up worshiping. It's just a question of what you're worshiping. It's like you are custom built for worship. It's what God had in mind when he thought of you, was how can I make a thing, how can I create something that worships just for that one purpose? And what he came up with was us. Okay? So when God had all the options in the whole universe, he could make anything he wanted, however he wanted. And he said, what can I make that will worship best? You and I are what he came up with. It is what you do. It's who you are. Okay? It's just a question of who or what you worship, not if. 
Never is a question of if. If you say, I'm not much of a worshiper. You just don't know yourself. That's what you're really saying. Because you are right now worshiping something. Okay? We're designed to image and shadow or reflect the glory of our Creator back to our Creator. We are not made in the image of ourselves. We are made in the image of another. And that's the God of this age is, I will recreate myself in my own image. Thank you very much. That's the God of this age. I define myself and I will worship myself. I will recreate myself in my own image according to my own design. If you thought we weren't going to be controversial, there we are, right? So a shadow doesn't exist on its own, right? Its identity as a shadow is to mirror the one making the shadow. You don't look at a shadow and go, wow, what a beautiful shadow. What is this? A shadow is just a reflection. It's what is made by the light, okay? The point is the light. So let's look at Romans 1, verse 21. I would encourage you to just this week read the whole chapter. Romans 1, 21, this is Paul's diagnosis of what's wrong with us. You ever wondered that? What is wrong with the world? This is what's wrong with the world. For although they knew God, they being humanity, okay? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what is our problem? Our problem is we decided to not worship God and instead to worship the things he made. We, didn't, we said, well, I'm not going to worship the creator. I'm going to worship the creation, whether it's myself or my stuff, my car, my house, my career, my children, my pastor. Whatever it is, that you, it is a created thing that you have exchanged in your worship. You're still worshiping. You're still worshiping. It's just we just said, you know, worshiping God's kind of a bummer. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to define myself, make my own way. And so I'll just worship this other stuff. And so that could be a literal, physical idol that you have fashioned yourself. But... Typically, most people I know in America, that's not an issue for them. The idols become other things. Sometimes they're good things. Like children are a great thing. But it's weirdly easy to elevate your children to God's status in your life, right? Then they disappoint you and your idols disappoint you, don't they? God likes toppling over idols. It's kind of a thing he does. You can pretty much guarantee anything you put on the pedestal of worship in your heart will get toppled at some point. God will not feed your idols. Isn't that amazing? You get an idol, ah, really, really just love this career. It's everything to me. God, come feed this, will you? Bless my career. He goes, I don't think I want to. 
Because you're worshiping it instead of me. Why not? Next thing you know, you're fired. What happened? God, you didn't bless my idol. Yeah, I just came and kicked it over instead. I hope that's okay. (laughs) If it sounds like I know exactly how that feels, you're exactly right. I've been there, right? So Paul's diagnosis of what is wrong with the world is that God made mankind to worship his creator, and instead of doing that, we made this evil exchange. I said, we're not going to worship the creator, we're going to worship what he made. And so God removed his restraint on them as an act of judgment. That's the ultimate judgment from God, is to just let you do what you want. So he released his restraint, and the result was judgment, and we experienced the bad fruit of our rebellion. And so we look around us in the world and we see it all over the place. We not only rejected God, but took what he designed and used it to worship other things that he made instead of him, ourselves. God made you to worship him, and now you use your body and you use your mind that God gave you custom designed to worship him with, and instead you use it to worship the things that he made. So worship is not an experience, it's an act of joyful obedience, fundamentally. What you're saying is, I'm... I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to worship created things anymore. I'm worshiping my creator. I'm going to use myself for what I was designed to do, right? It's not about what we receive. It's about what God receives. In fact, the moment it becomes about what we receive or what we experience, it becomes worship of something other than God. It becomes worship of experience, worship of self even, That's scary, because that means we can make idolatry look very, very Christian, can't we? That's why we call it Christian idolatry, or Christianized idolatry. This kind of worship of my experience, and what do we call it now? Not to get on a soapbox, but give me a second. The worship experience. We've tacked on a word to the word worship. And I find that when you tack on a word to the word worship, it's no longer worship anymore. Even if it sounds really, really spiritual and biblical and Christian, if you're tacking on words to worship and making it about anything but the glory, the glorification, the magnification of God, looking at him and saying, you're everything, you're all we need, look how amazing you are, when it becomes about accomplishing something else. It isn't worship. It might be something else really good, like prayer. Intercessory worship. It's intercession. Prayer is good. (laughs) We're going to talk about that in a minute. We start adding things on, hyphenating the word worship. I get nervous. Because I wonder if it's even worship anymore. It's very easy to make this exchange of worship of God for worship of created things appear very holy when in fact it's not. All worship is good worship. If it's worship, it's good. You know what bad worship is? Bad worship is something that pretends to worship God but doesn't. So bad worship isn't worship. 
good worship is worship by definition. So we have this weird rating system, don't we? And the rating system is based on not a biblical standard of worship. It's based on our level of experience. And God goes, that's not worship. You have made the exchange in your heart while raising your hands in church on a Sunday morning. You have made the Romans 1 exchange and didn't realize it. If God is worshipped, it's good worship, period. Now, your experience of God may not have been good. You may have been a total dud, totally disconnected, totally out of it, distracted, wishing this sermon would hurry up and finish, whatever it was, just out of it, maybe just, maybe act depressed, whatever. And your experience may have been flatlined. But the question is, the primary question is, did you worship God anyway? Because you can worship God from the pits of despair in absolute depression when there is no emotion whatsoever. And you can worship God from the heights of joy, and it's both worship to God. You can also fake, right? You can be in the heights of joy, but turn that joy in on yourself and think about how awesome you are. Look at what I've accomplished. Or you can give that adoration to someone else, right? You can look at a beautiful sunset and not give God glory for it. So your experience is a terrible gauge for what worship is and the quality of the worship. Our experiences vary wildly. We have limited capacity, don't we? Have you ever been to a, like a really amazing conference where the worship was amazing and it was just like, whoa, the whole time. You're just having this great experience. And then you go to church the next week and you just can't anymore because you're physically, emotionally just tired. And you, you can't maintain this emotional high for forever. You physically, you have a limit to your capacity. Does that mean that the worship following the amazing worship was, wet, was bad? No. It was just you. You were tired. You just couldn't contain anymore. It was either you, you stop and you hit your limit or you die, right? I've been there. We, our experiences vary wildly all over the place. We are easily distracted and easily deceived. It's easy to fake an experience it's easy to attribute an experience to the wrong source. All those things are really, really easy to do because we're human. This brings us back to this idea of being made in the image of God. We have already established in this series, so I'm not going to talk about it, that Jesus is the perfect image of the Father, John 1. He's the Word of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. But it doesn't stop with Jesus being the perfect image of God. Romans 8, 28 to 29 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Woohoo! For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus is the perfect image of God. We were made in God's image. And we've blown it. 
So what does it mean to be a Christian? Is that God takes you, and, and Jesus says, I'm going to conform you to my image. I'm, I'm going to fix all of this so that you are now the, also the image of the Father. I'm going to shine up the mirror so that it reflects the image of God perfectly again. This is what Jesus is doing in you. It is still just about worship. So it's wrong to attribute the ebbs and flows of our experiences in worship to God, as if God is hiding or being precocious or being coy. <laughs> it's hiding from you. Come find me. The ebbs and flows are due to us, that we aren't yet fully sanctified. We are on the road to being conformed perfectly and totally to the image of the sun. And at that point, you can expect the ebbs and flows to disappear. When you are fully sanctified, you're not going to still have this struggle of your experiences going up and down, up and down, up and down. Why? Because God's not hiding from you. Why would he hide? His son died so he could be with you. To hide from you would to deny the sacrifice of Jesus. Why would we act this way? Why would he say these things? He's not hiding from you. He's not withholding something from you. He's right here all the time. Worship me whenever you want to. I'm right here. Our prayer should be that the Holy Spirit would further conform us to the image of Christ as we worship. So that we might worship with more joy in his presence. Okay? That's the difference. Not, God, where are you? I'm trying to find you. Where are you? It's like, I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> you did. <laughs> You're wandering. You're all over the place, man. One of my favorite Alan Austin quotes. The Holy Spirit is not a butterfly. He is not easily scared off. Ah! Oh! You played the wrong song. <laughs> this was going to be awesome. I was going to like raise the dead in here. But whatever, you did the wrong song. Nice job, Josh. You ruined the presence of God. <laughs> did you miss that note? That was supposed to be a D sustained chord. Don't you know that's when the Holy Spirit comes? That's, no, that's when the kick drum comes in and the smoke machine starts. We should never be confused about whether or not it's the smoke machine or the presence of God. The Holy Spirit's not a butterfly who's just, just waiting for you to miss the mark in some way that you couldn't foresee and fl just flutter away because you just the wind blew in the wrong direction. No, he's God. He died to be with you. Do you think he's going to just wander off because you miss some some special moment when you should have gone left and you went right instead? No. It's either worship or it's not. And so I don't want to say you're, our experience doesn't matter. I believe we should be experiencing God. We, sh we should be getting the, 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 the Jesus chill bumps all the time. The warm fuzzies, whatever you want to call it. Those, those, those butterflies in your stomach where you just, just feel this 
unity in the congregation. You feel the presence of God, and, you, and, and the only way you know to describe it is God showing up. And you're like, ah, oh, that's kind of wrong too, but I don't know how to describe this. We should be feeling that, but that is not what defines worship. It's what maybe happens when we worship. It's what happens when we get around God. It's what happens when Jesus further conforms us to his image. But it is not why we worship. Worship is just saying, God, look at how awesome you are. How do I respond to you? I think I'll sing a song. I think I'll pray. I think I'll sing. I think I'll bow. I'll clap. I'll dance. Whatever it is, that's worship. So what about prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God at a most basic definition, right? And like I said, the more you do it, the more you realize how mysterious this is because you start to get confused about whether how much of my will is influenced by God and, and is he listening to me and why does he listen to me? And what happens if I don't pray? Well, things don't happen that would have happened, but how does that work? And it just gets amazing. Why is God allowing me at all to participate? I have terrible ideas. I have a track record of terrible ideas. Yet I'm submitting my terrible ideas to him, and some of them he does. That's scary. <laughs> but yes, on a very basic level, prayer is simply talking to God. It requires no special skills or knowledge or language ability. It's talking to God like he's listening to you. So let's look at the Lord's Prayer. We pray it every couple of weeks together. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This is Jesus saying, pray then like this. And by the way, in Luke's account, he says, when you pray, pray this. So if your anti-liturgical bias is getting triggered when we pray the Lord's Prayer together in rote memorization, there's Luke. He said, just pray this, all right? And then Matthew says, pray like this, so we can go both ways, all right? This morning, we're going to look at it as a template for prayer. But if you're, especially if you're new to prayer, I just want to encourage you just to pray this, okay? Just pray it. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So hallowed be your name. Look at how the prayer starts. And see, so Jesus says, pray this or pray like this. Where does he start? He starts with worship. It just means, may your name be acknowledged as holy and sacred. Hallowed be your name. This is where worship begins. Jesus teaches us that prayer and worship are not separate things. They are together things. The first part of his prayer is worship. He also puts it first, which I think is actually significant. Just think about what happens in your own heart, in your own mind, in terms of your perspective on your needs when you worship God. You just behold him, and inevitably you realize, however big you thought he was, he's way, way, way indescribably bigger and what happens to the size of your problems? They get way, 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 way smaller. The bigger God seems and appears to you, the more he fills your vision, the smaller your problems seem to be. That gives you faith. I think that's, in a way, a definition of faith. Just seeing God. 
You want faith for your future? See God in your future. What's the most depressing, hopeless thing in the world? To see your future without God in it. Now you're on your own. But if you see your future with God in it, right, he fills your vision. And all of a sudden, whatever it is you're afraid of in the future gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So if you begin prayer, not with, oh, my problems are so huge. God, do something. But instead, you resist that temptation and you begin with, okay, okay, brain, how big is God? Why is really big? Okay, list the things that he's done for, for, for you. And you start listing them. And your heart begins to get overwhelmed at the greatness of God and all that he's done for you. He gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And sometimes you actually forget, because he's so big, you forget to pray for your stuff. Because you're like, ah, whatever. Just, it's like nothing to me now. Oh, yeah, I forgot to ask God to help me with whatever. Because you're just so overcome with how great God is. Jesus understands this. And this is how he begins his prayer and how he teaches us to begin our prayer. The next phrase follows suit, prioritizing God's plans over our own needs. So even after you worship, Jesus says, okay, now if you're going to ask for something, if you're going to ask for God to move and do something, start by asking him to do his stuff first. God, expand your kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Then he says, whose will? Your will be done. Not just in any old way, but in the same way your will is done in heaven, which is what? Immediately. May your will be done in the same way here. This does not mean, as the prosperity gospel people have stolen this, and said, this means that, well, there's no tears in heaven, therefore there should be no tears on earth. There's no sickness in heaven, therefore there should be no sickness on earth. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying in this verse is, may your will be done in the same way how it's done in heaven. May it be done in that way on earth, meaning instant obedience. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, what would happen to the world if we were all just doing whatever God said? Finally, at the end, we pray simply for what we need, physical needs and the spiritual ones. Forgive us our sins. That's, those are debts, what that means. Forgive us our sins. Feed, feed us. Give us our daily bread. God, feed me. I don't want to starve. Supply what I need to live. And supply what I need to live spiritually. Keep me from sin. Keep me from temptation. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to pray just following the, the Lord's Prayer. I want to do it all together. Hopefully this will not be awkward. It won't be awkward for me. It might be for you. Whatever. So we're, gonna, we're just going to go, we'll, say we'll start with worship, okay? Um, and I'm, I'm not gonna, we're not going to have music to help you. Because I, I, I want you to hear your brain and tell your brain what to do, Okay? And I'm going to read a little bit of Psalms 104, I think, maybe just to kind of give you something to respond to. Because if worship is a response, you should have something to respond to. So I'm going to help you in that way. And then we're going to move from work just, saying, just praying out loud all together, not in unison, but just all on top of each other like a big chaotic mess. Okay? We're just going to, and, and the louder the better. 
just, just say, God, you're worthy. You're so good. Look what you've done for me, right? Just start to tell him how awesome he is and direct your idolatrous heart towards him, right? And then we'll move from that into just asking that the kingdom of God will come. God, would you just bring your kingdom here, expand it, every corner of the planet, that your kingdom would be established from here to Mozambique and beyond, right? We'll do that all together. Then, we'll go, then we'll ask for provision. And we'll conf- do confession and repentance. And then ask for deliverance for us and everyone around us. Okay? That's kind of, we'll just follow the, the Lord's prayer through the end. And depending on how it feels at the end, we'll either sing a song together or we'll just close. Okay? I'm just leaving the worship team in suspense. So why don't we stand up together and do this? Shake the cobwebs off. I'm just going to read a little bit and just let let this uh, just fill your heart and then at some point we'll stop and we'll just do it ourselves. This is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, And remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's just worship God together.